Wisdom from Above with Dr. Harlan Betts. Hey there, my podcast friends. Welcome to Wisdom from Above, where we go beyond the reasoning of man to the revelation of God. For those of you who might be new to Wisdom from Above, I want to extend a hearty welcome. We're investigating the book of Revelation. A kindergarten teacher was observing her classroom of children while they drew. She would occasionally walk around and see to each child's work. As she got to one little girl who was working diligently, she asked what the drawing was. The girl replied, I'm drawing God. The teacher paused and said, but no one knows what God looks like. Without missing a beat, and without looking up from her drawing, the girl replied, Well, they will when I'm done. (laughs) Well, after today's podcast, and a close look at John's vision of Christ, we will see an amazing picture of what Christ is like. Harry Randall Truman was warned by police, neighbors, and family to leave his lodge on Spirit Lake, just five miles north of Mount St. Helens. But Harry ignored the warnings. On May 18, 1980, Mount St. Helens exploded with a force 500 times greater than the nuclear bomb that leveled Hiroshima. Harry was buried by a wall of mud and ash 50 feet high. Harry had ignored the warnings. Five iceberg warnings were telegraphed to the Titanic. When the sixth message, look out for the icebergs, came in, the Titanic's operator wired back, shut up, I'm busy. 35 minutes later, on April 14, 1912, this massive ship, whose captain had said, not even God could sink this ship, struck an iceberg, had 3,000 feet of her hull ripped open, and began to capsize. By 2 a.m. that next morning, the massive ship had gone down into 12,000 feet of icy water, and over 1,500 people had died. The Titanic operator ignored the warnings. The book of Revelation is issuing a warning. The Son of God is going to return to earth. He's coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But before he returns, there will be a time of Holocaust such as this world has never seen. A time of great tribulation is coming to the earth. A time when the Antichrist and false prophet will deceive and delude kill and control. The warning is being sounded. Unfortunately, many are ignoring the warnings. I'll never forget hearing the story of a young preacher who was invited to give a message at a local church. He was prepared and proud to deliver his message without the aid of any notes. He stepped up to the pulpit, took a deep breath, and declared, Behold, I am coming quickly. 
But then his mind went blank, completely blank. He could not remember a single thing he was going to say. His preaching professor had told him that if he ever got stuck and couldn't remember what he's going to say, he should simply step back, pause a moment, then step boldly up to the pulpit and repeat his last line with more energy and enthusiasm. So the young preacher stepped back, paused a moment, then boldly stepped up to the pulpit. While pounding on the pulpit, he declared, Behold, I am coming quickly! But his mind was still blank. So he stepped back again, paused a moment, and with even greater energy, stepped up to the pulpit, pounded on the pulpit, declaring, Behold, I am coming quickly! But as he pounded on the pulpit, he pushed it over, he fell over the pulpit, he landed in the lap of a middle-aged lady sitting in the front row. Immediately, he got up off her lap, straightened his jacket and tie, and said, Oh, ma'am, I am so sorry. She said, Oh, that's okay, young man. You warned me three times. <laughs> My dear friends, we need to hear these warnings in the book of Revelation. We need to heed these warnings in the book of Revelation. We need to declare these warnings in the book of Revelation. Now, fortunately, the book of Revelation also contains great words of encouragement and hope for those who are believers. But we as believers definitely need to hear and heed and ultimately declare the message of this book. In episode one of season eight, we looked at the title of the book of Revelation. The Revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is about him and it is from him. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we saw that this revelation was communicated from God the Father to Jesus Christ, from Jesus Christ to his angel, from his angel to John, and from John to the seven churches. In episode 2 of season 8, we discovered the theme of the book in Revelation, the return of Jesus Christ. Behold, he is coming. Jesus is coming back. He will come with great power and in great glory. And now, in season, in episode three, we're going to see a vision of Christ. The circumstances of the vision are mentioned in verses 9 through 11. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and in patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John calls himself their brother. He, he first notes his personal circumstances. Then his spiritual circumstances will be noted in the next two verses. But here we see his personal circumstances. He calls himself their brother. In the gospel, John calls himself a disciple. In the epistles, he calls himself an elder. In Revelation, he simply calls himself a brother. 
John also calls himself their companion or their fellow partaker. In tribulation, he says, John shared in their trouble and suffering. In the kingdom, John will share their place in the kingdom. In patience, John is sharing their perseverance in Jesus Christ. He is personally empowered by the person and power of Christ. So that's the personal circumstances. Then he notes his physical circumstances. John is banished to the island of Patmos, a Roman penal colony, 10 miles long by 6 miles wide, located in the Aegean Sea between Greece and Asia Minor, southwest of Ephesus. John is also banished, he tells us, because of the word of God. He took a stand for the truths of the word of God. Have you taken a stand for the inspiration and inerrancy and accuracy and authority of the scripture? Thirdly, John is banished because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. He was an eyewitness. He gave testimony about Jesus Christ. He took a stand for Jesus Christ. One of the questions that is sometimes asked and is very appropriate to ask, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I sure hope so. Then in verses 10 and 11, John shares his spiritual circumstances. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am, and it goes on to say, to speak to him. So first of all, John was in the spirit. He was very aware of the Holy Spirit's presence and ministry. The Holy Spirit took a hold of him and brought him up and gave him a, a, a vision of Christ and ultimately a vision of things to come that he was to record. John was in the Spirit. He was in a state of receptivity for divine inspiration. John also says it was the Lord's day. It's very possible that he simply is saying this was a Sunday, the day the Lord rose from the dead. And the day the Lord sent his spirit to begin the church, the Lord's Day, Sunday. There are some who would say it's possible reference to the day of the Lord, spoken of in the scripture, an Old Testament expression for the day of God's judgment and rule coming. And of course, this book talks about God's judgment and his coming rule in the millennial kingdom. But very possibly, it just simply means it was Sunday. He was in the Spirit. It was the Lord's Day. And then he's hearing a great voice as a trumpet. Now, I play the trumpet, but you've never heard me, and most of you never will. You see, I usually just play for young children in vacation Bible school or for older folks in rest homes or nursing homes. Those folks on either end of the age spectrum 
that have a less discerning ear or can hardly hear at all. So they don't really know how poorly I play. (laughs) But there's one comment I often get from folks in the nursing homes. They love my trumpet playing because it's so loud and clear and so easy to hear. I believe Jesus is telling us that the, excuse me, I believe that John is telling us that the voice he is hearing is coming through loud and clear like a trumpet. This is unquestionably the voice of Christ, is evident from the verses that follow. For Jesus says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven spirits of the churches, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. John hears this voice, which is loud and clear like a trumpet, and is clearly the voice of Jesus. He is referred to in this passage as the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. He is the Eternal One, the Eternal One who chose to come to the earth, be born of a virgin, and go to the cross to die for my sins and your sins. And then God raised him from the dead, and whoever believes in him will not perish but has everlasting life. And you note it in this verse, John is commanded to write what he sees. The command to write is found 12 times in this book, indicating that John saw a series of visions And after each individual vision, he was to record, write down what he had heard and what he had seen. John is told to send this entire book then to the seven churches. The churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, as we read on, we see the content of the vision. The location is in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. John sees seven golden lampstands. This seems like a mystery, but God's word solves the mystery. According to chapter 1 and verse 20, The seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches, it says. The scripture is its own interpreter. The gold, as in the temples, represents the deity and glory of God. And there are lampstands that use oil, and olive oil is symbolic of the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit. And then there is light from the lampstands, And light is symbolic of the church reflecting the light of Christ. Jesus Christ is the light. The churches are light bearers. Jesus Christ is the light, and we who are believers are light bearers. So that's the location. Then they see the person. 
in verse 13, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of God, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. And he's going to go on and describe this person. But first, note it says, one like the Son of Man. This term is used in all four Gospels. It is actually found 85 times in the Gospels, the Son of Man. And 83 of the times that it is found in the Gospels, it is by it is Jesus Christ himself speaking about himself. It's found back in the Old Testament in Daniel 7.13. But Jesus Christ is the Son of Man, the unique God-man who was born of a virgin. This is emphasizing the humanity and the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. And then the rest of these verses, down through 16, are describing what Christ looked like to John as he sees him in this vision. He's one clothed with a garment down to the foot. Emphasizes that Jesus' clothing is like that of a priest. We read about it in Exodus 28, 2 and 4. And Jesus Christ himself is indeed our priest, our intercessor. Then it says he's one girded with a golden belt. The high priest had a golden thread in his belt, emphasizing the glory, the beauty, the authority, and the ministry of Christ. And then it goes on in verses 14 to 16. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. You remember, you may remember Isaiah 118. Come now and reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, red like crimson, they shall be as wool. It pictures the purity and the holiness of his character. His head and hair, white like wool, white as snow. We read in Daniel 7, 9 that the Ancient of Days was seated and the hair of his head was like pure wool, picturing the dignity and wisdom of age, the purity and holiness of character. The next phrase, his eyes were like a flame of fire. Hebrews 4, 13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Hebrews 12.29 says, Our God is a consuming fire. 1 Corinthians 3.13 talks about believers standing before the judgment seat of Christ, and our life is tested by fire. It's as though we're standing before the eyes of our righteous judge, Jesus Christ, and his eyes are penetrating and perceiving. Penetrating 
our thoughts and motives and actions and perceiving the motives of our hearts. Then it says his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. His feet were like bronze, strong and stable, and like bronze tested and refined by fire. And they will ultimately tread the wicked in judgment and make his enemies his footstool. We read about this in Revelation 14, 17 to 20. And then it says, His voice as the sound of many waters. I love the psalm that says, More than the sound of many waters, like the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. This pictures his awesome power and authority. Like the thunderously powerful sound of Niagara Falls, water pouring down off the cliff of the falls and landing down below, or the crashing surf of the ocean waves hitting against the rocks. Some do not hear his voice over the voice of money and materialism, fame and fortune, power and possessions, science and psychology, but when Jesus Christ returns, his voice will be deafening and overpowering and will drown out all these other voices. Then it says, His right hand holds seven stars. This speaks of his loving care in holding them, in keeping them safe, and in protecting them. Who are the seven stars? Well, the key to understanding these seven stars is actually found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20 where it says the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. So they're angels. Each church has its own angel. Now, uh, I probably should say that some people think the seven stars are earthly human messengers rather than heavenly spiritual beings. It's interesting to note that the term angel is used 186 times in the New Testament. And only seven times is it used of a human messenger. The other 179 times, it always means angel. But their thought is that the human messenger in Revelation chapter 1 would be a leader in the church who's primarily responsible for the declaration of God's word to the people. J. Vernon McGee, a radio Bible teacher, once said, I like to think it refers to the local pastors. It's good to hear a pastor being called an angel. Sometimes we're called other things. <laughs> but it's important to understand and note that the term angel almost always means angel in the New Testament. And it's important to note that it's used 76 times in the book of Revelation and in every other case, it is clearly referring to an angel, a, a heavenly spiritual being, an angel. Therefore, it's highly unlikely that this one reference out of all the 76 would be to something different or that it would be to a human messenger. 
It's also important to note that in the New Testament, every time leadership in a local church is addressed, it's always addressed in the plural. It's always to the elders, plural, of the church, or the bishops, plural, of the church. There's never, ever just one human leader over a, human, over a local church. Instead, every church has a group of godly men called elders or bishops who are jointly shepherding and leading the church. Therefore, I believe that these seven stars are actual angels. The belief is that each church has a specific guardian angel assigned to watch over it and guard it and guide it and influence influence it. And this interpretation is consistent with the normal natural meaning of the term angel. And it's consistent with the, all the other 75 times where the word angel is used in the book of Revelation. These angels are in the right hand of God. The right hand is a symbol of power. So the angels are there. They're safe in his hands and they serve under his authority. And then we read, he's out of his mouth, a sharp Two-edged sword. His mouth sends out a two-edged sword. This refers to, the term sword would mean a long sword that's used for divine justice and judgment. And we'll see the same term again in Revelation 19 when Jesus Christ comes back to the earth. It pictures Christ's words doing the work of such a sword and bringing Swift, divine justice and judgment. It's a two-edged sword. Salvation or condemnation. So your heart must either melt or it can harden. It must either bend or it will break. The next thing we see is that his face is like the sun. The majesty and the glory of his character and countenance, often referred to as his Shekinah glory. It was evidenced at the Mount of Transfiguration where he allowed his majesty and glory to be visibly seen There's something unusual about this scene. It's evidently a night scene as witnessed by the lampstands and the stars. But it's also a day scene as evidenced by the countenance of Christ shining like the sun. And this gives us a clear picture of the church's relationship and responsibility to Christ. The world is a dark place of a dark place. And it's in desperate need of light. And Jesus is that light. And we believers who make up the church are supposed to carry the light of Christ into the world. Jesus once said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and then they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. So what a powerful, powerful picture of Christ we see here. His head and hair like white wool and snow, his eyes like flames of fire, his feet like brass, his voice 
as the sign of many waters. In his right hand, the seven angels. And out of his mouth, a two-edged sword. And his countenance shining in all its Shekinah glory. And what is the result? Listen to verse 7. The consequences of the vision in 17, I mean, through 20. First, the cowering of John. Physically, John falls at his feet. And then spiritually, John bows in humility and awe and worship. Listen to the verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. So physically, John falls at his feet. This is is the same beloved disciple who had laid his head on the chest of Christ and enjoyed an intimacy of fellowship with Christ, who was now stunned and overwhelmed by the presence of the glorified Christ, whose majesty is seen in all its glory, and whose righteousness is seen as a consuming fire, so John bows in humility and awe and worship. It's a reaction any human being would have when in the awesome presence of Christ. But then you notice not only the cowering John, but the comfort of Christ. He laid his right hand on me. The personal touch of the Lord of love. How very typical of our Lord. Physical comfort and verbal comfort. Fear not. I am. The personal comfort of the Lord of glory. I am the first and the last. Christ the self-existent one, unbounded by time. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive now forever. It's Christ not only the self-existent one, but Christ the saving one. He's conqueror over death. And then he says, I have the keys of death and Hades. He's not only Christ the self-existent one and Christ the saving one, he's also Christ the sovereign one. He's controller of all things. He can release us from physical and spiritual death. He has the keys of death and Hades. He's sovereign over physical death and he is sovereign over spiritual death. He and he alone can enable a person to have eternal life. Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Like John, you too can be comforted and assured by the great I am. Some people limit God by seeing him only in the past. Some limit him by seeing him only in the future. We need to learn that God is unbounded by time. He's the great I am. And then we read in verse 19, Write these things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. This, my friends, is a divine outline for this book. The things which you have seen, past. The things which are now, present. The things which shall be, future. The things which you have seen, past. Chapter 1, the vision of Christ. The things which are now, present. Chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches. Then the churches raptured out. The things which shall be future, chapters 4 through 24. The prophetic future, the tribulation, the second coming, millennial kingdom, new heaven and new earth. 
I want to make four observations. God has set a precedent here in verse 20, where he says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Scripture is its own interpreter. Revelation is designed to reveal, not to conceal. And the challenge of this vision comes to us. John has witnessed an awesome vision of Christ, a vision of our Lord and Savior and coming King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he recorded this powerful portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is pure and holy in his character, righteous and just in his judgment, powerful and authoritative in his words, penetrating and piercing in his truth, glorious and majestic in his beauty. Jesus is the central focus of Revelation, just as he is the central focus of all history. The believers in these churches need to focus on Christ. You and I need to focus on Christ. As the author Hebrews writes, fix your eyes on Jesus. My dear listener, do you know where to turn in the midst of troubles and trials? Do you know where to turn in the midst of hurt and heartaches? Do you know where to turn as you take your child to school, as you drive your car, as you go to work, as you go to the shop, as you sleep? Do you know where to turn as you live in a sin-cursed world, as you face your adversary, as you fight discouragement, as you face financial pressures, as you fall into temptation? Do you know where to turn? The songwriter gives us the answer, just as this passage in Revelation does. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I want to thank you, my friend, for carving out the time to be part of my Wisdom from Above listening family. May God bless you and keep you and provide for you and protect you. Keep looking up and keep on pursuing Wisdom from Above. <laughs> 